The Old Testament reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham, Abram passed through the land to the place Eshechem to the Oak of Moray. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from the book of Romans, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8 and 13 through 17. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir to the, of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham.
who is the Father of us all, as it is written, I have made you Father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel appointed for this, the second Sunday in Lent, is from the Gospel of St. John, the third chapter, beginning at verse 1. And as I noted before, this will also serve as the basis for the sermon this morning. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Please be seated. This time I invite the young children to come forward for a message with Gizmo. And parents, uh, please uh, come up and accompany them if you uh, so desire. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we continue the sermon series that we've been focusing on as we look at the values that we share as members of St. James And today we're going to focus on the value of sharing God's good news of Jesus Christ with other people. And in order to do this, we're going to focus in on the words of the gospel reading from John chapter 3. At this time, I highlight a number of verses from that that chapter. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. For flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. One of the core values that we share as members of St. James Lutheran Church is this. We value sharing God's good news in Jesus Christ with other people. Because you see, the good news of Jesus Christ is really the very best news that we can hear for ourselves and share with other people. Before we share the good news with others, we really need to stop and listen to the great announcement that God makes to us for ourselves first. We need to stop and listen and believe the very words that our Lord Jesus Christ spoke to us and believe it. He says, for God, the Most High, our Creator and Provider, our Abba Father, for God so loved the world, the Jew, the Gentile, the American, the Chinese, the Russian, the Iranian, the rich, the poor, the Republican and Democrat, the affluent and underprivileged, the world, including you and me, that he gave sacrificially as a gift his only begotten son, the eternal word, our Lord Emmanuel, the son of the highest. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, the good shepherd, the man of sorrows, the, the lamb of God, will not perish, will not be lost, will not be condemned, but will have eternal life. Yes, we will live in the presence of our Lord, free of sin, free of the curse of death, free of the devil. We'll experience joy, joy like we've never experienced in the new heaven and the new earth. Yes, for God so loved you and me that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's God's great pronouncement, isn't it? It's for the world. It's for you. And it's for me. We value sharing this grand announcement with other people before, because there really is no other better message for the world to hear than of God's love for them in Jesus Christ. But we also value sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with other people because Jesus says flesh gives birth to flesh. What he's talking about here is something that we call original sin. Original sin is, is a curse that has come upon all people. All men, women, and children are born according to the course of nature, who are born according to the course of nature, are conceived and born in sin. That is, all people are full of lust and inclinations from their mother's wombs and are unable by their nature to have true fear of God and true faith in God. And this inborn sickness that we inherit from our parents is, is truly sin. And it condemns us to the eternal wrath of God unless we are born again by the Spirit and the water. It's called inherent sin 
because we have received this deep spirit, this deep-seated spiritual corruption from our parents that results in death. It results in spiritual death. Well, we are all born spiritually dead, unable to believe in God by our own inclinations and efforts. We're we will all experience temporal death where our life will come to an end sooner or later. And God forbid there will be people who will experience eternal death. The Bible speaks about this original sin, this hereditary corruption that we've inherited in many, many scripture passages. In Psalm 51, the the psalmist writes, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the very time my mother conceived me. And as a result of this sinful nature that we've inherited, the Bible tells us that every inclination of our human heart is evil from childhood. The writer to the Ecclesiastes says, Indeed, there's no one on earth who is righteous. There's no one on earth who does what is right and never sins. And so unfortunately, all of us have inherited this hereditary sin, this corruption of our nature. And as a result, we stand under the condemnation of God for that very sin. What we deserve for our sin is to perish, to never see the kingdom of God, the glories of of heaven and the new earth that we speak of. The Bible even tells us that we are dead in our sins that we're enemies of God because of this sin. And as a result, the wages of sin is death, says St. Paul. As we heard on Ash Wednesday, as we put the ashes on our forehead or on our hand, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. That's the result of sin. Luther writes, This manifold corruption of our nature should not be minimized. It should rather be emphasized. This should be emphasized, I say, for the reason that unless the severity of this disease is correctly recognized, the cure is also not known or desired. The more you minimize sin, the more will grace decline in value. In value. The antidote for this disease, this disease that we call original sin, is nothing short of the blood of God's own Son. That's how serious God took this disease. God was so concerned about this disease that caused our corruption of our nature that He sent His very own Son into this world not to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him from this disease. And so, Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, left His throne in heaven above, and He came into this earth, and He shared in our humanity, and He experienced death on a cross, and He was buried in a tomb for three days, because He took that disease, that corruption of sin upon Himself. Even though He who had no sin, He became sin 
for us, taking our sin on Himself, dying for our sin, so that you and I might ultimately be spared of this disease and live with Him forever. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish as a result of this original sin or any sin, but instead we have everlasting life. The Son of God needed to be lifted up on a cross for this to happen. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. Jesus is referencing back to an incident that occurred in the life of the people of Israel. The Israelites had seen God perform all kinds of miraculous signs and wonders as He led them out of Egypt into the Promised Land. But if you ever read those scripture passages from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you know that God's people constantly complained. And in this case, if you read in Numbers 21, you'll see that, again, the people of God are complaining. They're complaining about God and they're complaining about His servant Moses. And they say, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread and there's no water and we detest this miserable food that you call manna. And God, you know, kind of grew tired of it. And so he sent venomous snakes among them. And these snakes would bite the people and then they would die. And as the people watched fellow, fellow people, Israelites, dying, they went finally to Moses and said, Moses, will you please intercede on our behalf and ask God to, to take away these snakes that are killing us? And God instructed Moses to make a snake and to put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. And so we're told in that text that Moses made a bronze snake and he put it on a pole and everyone that looked to that snake on that pole would live even though they'd been bitten by one of these venomous snakes. There in that text, we see that God in his love for the Israelites provided a way for them, a remedy for them to be spared of that poisonous bite by that snake. And Jesus is saying by alluding to this, to this story that he is that person that's been raised up on the pole and everyone that looks to him will be healed. And even though we have been bitten by that venomous snake that we call the devil, even though we live with the curse of sin in our life, when we look to Christ who's been lifted up on that cross, God heals us. God forgives us. And he promises us life eternal. That's why Jesus came into this world, was to... Rescue those of us, all of us, who have been overcome with this hereditary sin. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that meant that the Son of Man needed to be lifted up on that pole and we can look at him and be saved. Not only do we need Jesus Christ to suffer and die on the cross of Calvary for us so that we can look to him and be saved, 
But Jesus also talks about the fact that we need a spiritual rebirth. Three times in our text, Jesus talks about how necessary it is for us to have a, to have a, a rebirth, being born again experience. There's an utter need for conversion, is what he is saying. For God to work faith in our hearts and lives. In verse 3, he says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Verse 5, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of the Spirit. And verse 7, You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. No. We shouldn't be surprised. Because there needs to be a spiritual rebirth in all of us if we're going to experience the joys of life everlasting in heaven. If you remember your catechism days, you remember that as you studied the third article of the Apostles' Creed, you learned these words from the pen of Martin Luther. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to Him, but the Holy Ghost has called me by the Gospel. He's enlightened me with the gifts. He is sanctified and He has kept me in the true faith even as He calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in that one true faith. Yes, all of us need the spiritual rebirth of the Holy Spirit reaching out to us and causing us to be born again. Because it's something that we can't do for ourselves. We can't make ourselves believe. We can't make ourselves who were once dead alive again. We who were once enemies of God can't make ourselves friends of God without the Holy Spirit creating this new life in us. If we don't experience this rebirth, Jesus says we perish. We're lost. We will not see, we will not enter the kingdom of God. Well, thankfully, you and I have experienced that rebirth, haven't we? The Holy Spirit has come to us in His Holy Word which is the power of God into the salvation of everyone who believes. And through that word, the Spirit of the Lord has created faith in our hearts so that we believe in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. We have come to the waters of holy baptism. And there, the Spirit of the Lord, speaking through those words, have ignited or created faith or strengthened our faith so that we've experienced that rebirth to, to life, to life in the Lord. When we've come to the holy baptism, our sins have been completely forgiven as we were buried into the, into the death of Christ and we were raised into the newness of life because we're also connected to His resurrection and all that He's accomplished for us there. And so when we read those words, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, we believe it. We believe it and make it our own. And we find those words to be so filled with joy because we know that in Christ we have everlasting life. But there are those who don't know that word. There are many who have not experienced this rebirth. 
there are many Nicodemuses out there, aren't there? And that's why we value sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. Because there are Nicodemuses in our life who need to be born again, who need to be born from above, who need to know that Jesus Christ is their Savior too, who need to know of this love that God the Father has for them, a love so great that He sent His Son for them too. Who is your Nicodemus? Nicodemus is kind of an interesting character in the, in the Gospel of St. John. As we heard in our text, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. That meant that he was a leader. He was a teacher of the law. It meant that he was supremely devoted to keeping the law, all of it. And we're told that he comes to Jesus by night. He comes to Jesus by night because he's ashamed or he's afraid of being exposed to the ridicule and hatred of his fellow Pharisees if they were ever to find out that he had actually gone to talk with Jesus. But what we see in Nicodemus is someone who is seeking. He's a seeker longing to know the truth. We see that he comes to Jesus and he sees initially that he says to Jesus, you are my teacher, rabbi, he says. Rabbi. But as time goes on in the Gospel of John, we see that Nicodemus appears two more times. There's a time in John chapter 7 where Nicodemus is amongst the Sanhedrin and they're talking about what to do about Jesus. And Nicodemus actually stands up in that assembly and defends Jesus and is ridiculed for doing so. And then we read in John chapter 19 that Nicodemus is actually one who helps in preparing the body of Christ for death. Joseph of Arimathea invites Nicodemus to come with him. He says, let's go get the body of Jesus and let's lay it in my tomb. And John 19 tells us that Nicodemus takes a generous portion of various kinds of perfumes that prepare the body and he begins to prepare the body of Christ for death. It would seem that Nicodemus went from being a seeker to being a believer. He went from being someone who said, Jesus, you're a teacher, to now saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. Who is the Lord seeking through you? Who is that seeker in your life, the one that, like Nicodemus, is wondering about the true meaning of life, or who's maybe wondering about Jesus? Who, who is it that maybe thinks of Jesus as a teacher and has some curiosity about his teachings, but who doesn't yet confess him as Lord? Might it be that skeptical friend? May it be that wandering church member might it be a self-righteous co-worker? Might it be an obstinate member of your family? Might it be a, a neighbor just down the street here on Oakwood? Might it be a parent who brings their child to ISJ's Academy Preschool? 
Who is that Nicodemus for you? My encouragement to you this morning is that you would first of all begin to pray for that Nicodemus. You might have more than one. But pray, list them, list them by name, and pray for them every day for the next month. And pray that God's Holy Spirit would work through his word to bring them to faith so that they might believe that Jesus is their Savior too. Pray that God would give you the courage and the boldness to speak to them this great news of God's love for them in Christ Jesus. Following our values workshop, the following statement was drafted to reflect the discussion on this value of sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. And it speaks about not so much our individual responsibility of sharing the good news with others, but it speaks about our corporate responsibility as a congregation to do this. And this was what was written. It says, Rather than be complacent and idle, waiting for visitors to come to us, we pledge to seek new avenues for mission outreach to our surrounding community, which we're dedicated to serve. We pledge to explore opportunities to make our presence and our message of Christ's salvation known to everyone in our community. And why? Because we have the greatest message on earth to share. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For that neighbor over there, and that neighbor over there, that preschool parent over there, And not only did he give his son, but he also sent the Spirit of the Lord through his word and through baptism so that we might experience rebirth, that they out there might experience rebirth, a new life from above, a life with their Lord and Savior Jesus, a life that never really ends. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.